I can see you tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I can get through an episode without crying. It's fine. I'm not sure that that's true. I don't believe you at all. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Three Queers in a Song Contest. I'm Gar. I'm Louisa. And I'm Sunny. And we are an American, a Brit, and an Australian, bringing together three diverse international perspectives on Eurovision, because we think it's interesting, but also just kind of because we can't ever stop talking about it. Uh, But you know, actually, Louisa, we did go out into public this past weekend, and I don't think we even talked about Eurovision once. Oh my God, you're right, because it occurred to me quite a few times to bring up various Eurovision things. And I was like, no, try try and have a normal evening, Louisa. Yeah, we went to a lovely roller skating rink. It was a takeover hosted by Queer House Party. It was delightful. We were like being well-rounded people, non-Eurovision people. Yeah, I'm so proud of us. I'm very impressed. <laughs> um, okay, so this week's episode is called The UK and Eurovision, A Complicated Relationship. Um, and as we inch closer to... Two months until the UK hosts Eurovision. Oh my God. For the first time in 25 years. I can't. We thought it was time to have a little discussion about our perception of the UK's perhaps slightly convoluted history with the song contest. But before we do that, we have a special guest, Rosemary, our dear producer, is hosting a special segment we're calling Rosemary's Corner. Take it away. Hello. Why are you here? Uh, so um, I've decided I have a jingle as well, like Sunny, but it's <laughs> it's shimmery, so it's like ding. Um, it's something like that. Anyway, so I have a bone to pick with all of you. Yeah, the problem um, with Rosemary's Corner is it's us in trouble. Oh shit! Here we go. <laughs> but it's actually mainly a bone with Louisa because oh. I feel like ultimately none of you knowing who Rylan is okay. is a travesty. Fair, but. As a Yank and an Aussie, I'll give you like a, a small allowance for not knowing Thank who he you. is. Uh, we're in the clear. But what I would say is that he's been around for 10 years and I think you guys maybe have lived here long enough to Fair have picked enough. up on who Rylan is. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now that he is involved in the, in the Eurovision production of 2023, I think it's time that we all understand who Rylan is. All right. For the international lesson. listener and for you three and your edification. <laughs> Educate us, please. So. She mad. He kind of, he's like a product of the like reality TV industrial complex. Uh, and like, so he first was meant to be on Big Brother in like 2010, but it got leaked to the press who he was going to be. And he said he was absolutely devastated, didn't get to go on it. But then... Wait, because he was already known and so that mattered that he was, it was leaked to the press? So I think he'd like done a little bit of TV stuff before, but I think that like with Big Brother, you're not allowed, it's not allowed to like oh, be known gonna be who's like going in okay. beforehand. Um, so that was Big Brother 8. Um, and then, but we really, we really get to know Rylan. 2012, he, he comes fifth in X Factor. Okay, that I know. That's, yeah, okay, fine. Despite the fact that Gary Barlow hated him, which, if anything, recommends him to us all more. Amen. I would say. Excellent. Did he sing? Yeah. Yes, he came. That is what happens on X Factor, Factor, as far as as I understand. (laughs) It's a singing competition, Sonny. I thought there were other acts. Oh, that's Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. Um, and then basically since then he's been on like so he did. Uh, stuff with Big Brother when it was on Channel 5 and then he's been on ITV and he's done a lot of stuff around X Factor, Extra Factor um, 
Wait, I'm sorry, extra factor? It's like it's like the the like gossip X Factor oh, show. Okay, gotcha. Um you know. Uh so he's been kind of like a, a fixture of like the terrestrial channels. Right. Um he's also been the host of two iconic nostalgia show reboots, Supermarket Sweep. Oh yes, I love it. Okay, that. that I do know. And Ready Study Cook, which maybe is yeah, is that where they've got like three ingredients or something and they need to make I something? love Ready, Steady, Cook. Yeah, they have to like just rustle something up from yeah. whatever's in, in like the shopping basket. I've got to say, all of this information is news to me. Previously hosted by Ainsley Harriet. Ah. Um, I'm I, out of my depth here. This is all. <laughs> I'm Do you know no. Ainsley oh, Harriet? Ainsley Harriet's one. Okay, you know, we'll do Ainsley Harriet in a different corner. Right. Yeah, uh, different, okay, different episode. <laughs> Maybe maybe my corner education. will just turn into sort of like pop culture education. So the nineties and two thousands UK pop culture, <laughs> which is not some, not really my specialist subject, if I'm honest. Um, but what I would say is most embarrassing for all of you, and looking at every single one of the three of you, right. is that calling yourselves Eurovision fans. Oh no, but we know we know Ryland's Eurovision vibe. We just didn't know what he did before that. You didn't know what he did before that. So you know that he's been involved in Eurovision since 2018. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, so that that wasn't the mystery part. It was like that where wasn't... did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he, 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 just where did he come from? It was my perception. Cotton, Cotton Ryland. Joe Ryland. Yeah. <laughs> that went really well for us. <laughs> okay. Great. So that's fine then. Yeah, yeah, no. So that, I mean, there's reasons for us to be embarrassed, but that's not one of them. Okay, so that is kind of the that's the history of Ryland. That's where Ryland's come from. That's that's why we love Ryland. All right. He's just he's Ryland. Great, excellent. So this okay. So in my defence, I think my explanation was like he's just Ryland, which seems to be he is the just summary, Ryland. And also, the if you only have one at. name, you kind of aren't supposed to have a backstory. You just like appear on yeah. the scene one day. Great. Well, they and that okay. So that. That's the end of your bollocking. Thank you. Uh, and then that I wasn't have, too bad. I can deal with that. And then I have two more things. I well, oh, I would say she's unfurling she's the scroll. She's unfurling the scroll. She's got power hungry. I'm okay with that bollocking because it really just means I didn't watch a bunch of reality TV shows, yeah. which I'm like really I feel okay about. <laughs> well, that's really each to their own, isn't it? <laughs> Some of us had nothing better to do. <laughs> um, so, secondly, I've tried to I've tried to solve a mystery for you. On so last week's episode, mm-hmm. the Fire Amore issue of it all. Oh, oh I have tried so mass, hard mass hallucination to solve this mystery for you. I've gone through and I've like I tried to find like a a version of the that UK like Eurovision show that was on before Europe Shine a Light. Yeah. Couldn't find the full episode, but I've trawled through. Didn't show on there. No, because that was like a whole different approach. They weren't yeah. showing any right. of the songs that year. Yeah, they that were show. doing a kind of like old Eurovision thing. Yeah. thing. Rylan was on the panel for that. <laughs> oh. um, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, I turned to Reddit. I posted in the Eurovision. <gasps> Reddit nice. forum oh, or whatever you, you call them. Fact Great. Checker, thank you. Still no answer. No one knows. But multiple people have the same memory. Oh what? Okay, so this is this this goes all the way to the top. Yeah. Sure <laughs> I think we're going to need to write to the EBU on this. <laughs> like I so if anything, we've is, all got a false memory of this. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was like, I I'm so sure that I watched that, but I've just gone back and watched the YouTube, and it's not there. Okay. This is Did you uh, mention the podcast on the? I actually didn't, but like... Let's drop that in whilst you're replying to people. Yeah, shameless plugging while asking questions. Sure, okay. Um, So that's 
that's still unfolding. Okay, so you haven't solved the mystery. No, I just wanted to let you know. Okay, thank you. And on the case, more as it comes. Great. And then the final is just is a question that I want to pose to you, which is also based on the last episode, which is that Louisa described the like Zoom living rooms singing the Johnny Logan song is one of the worst things you've ever seen. Yeah, I stand by that. Would you say, speaking of like Zoom lockdown travesties, worse or better than when those celebrities did Imagine? I think a good question. Um, I think I'm going to say worse in context because the celebrities doing Imagine is just tone deaf celebrities that I didn't need to care about. Mm. The Johnny Logan Zoom singing in the Eurovision show impacted me very personally. Yeah, fair um, And therefore terrible. I'm going to say better because I think we were subjected, if I recall, to the entire Imagine, whereas this was just a clip of the song. That's they true. They were only part of part of it. So it was a little more... And Imagine than... was on just like doing the rounds on every social media yeah. platform in a way that was quite inescapable. In, in whereas we only had to watch the Johnny Logan thing once. <laughs> yes. I actually Agreed. didn't see it during the whole of lockdown because I refused to watch it. Good yeah. It was bad you enough. No, honestly, yeah, you've got you to keep your head up somehow. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, so that's the end of Rosemary's Corner. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, and she's got an outro. Amazing. Thanks, Thank Rosemary, you, Rosemary, for your corner. All right, and as we normally do, we will now turn to Sonny for a bit of Eurovision news. Uh-oh, I didn't think of a jingle. Ah, come on. You screwed me up, Rosemary. On the fly, on the uh, fly. do 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 all right. That was like pretty similar to your I first know. one. You're getting a little Ugh. reductive now. Sorry. So, um, biggest news uh, recently announced is obviously the host announcement. So, um, National Treasure, Graham Norton, will be uh, part of the grand final hosting team. What do we think? Love. Absolutely. I'm really thrilled that he's involved on stage. I'm fascinated to find out how he's going to jump between, because it's saying he's going to host the live final, but also be doing sharing commentary with Mel Gidrick for yeah. the live final. So right. I'm assuming he's going to be just on stage for like little bits and pieces. Curious to see how that's going to play out. Terry I think Sir Terry did, did it yeah. Yeah. Sir Terry did it once before as well. But no, like thrilled that like Graham yeah. Norton is fundamental to Eurovision in the UK and it'll be good to there have There was him some there. hullabaloo about he was sort of pressured into saying whether or not he was going to be a part of it a few months ago and he said no so there were some headlines that he was like mm-hmm. categorically not going to do it so people were like oh my gosh he's gone back on his word but obviously it's great that he's part of it yeah and obviously a few months ago no one in no the one BBC was... knew what was happening yeah, it's, totally. it's it just been scrabbling it together so then the core team um, for all three semis and the grand final we've got Hannah Waddingham from Ted Lasso Sex Education Game of Thrones fame Fantastic edition, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah also, I love huge in musical theater, uh, has a legit voice. Um, yeah, she's been on West End, right? Spam a lot, has done some other great shows. She has like a bunch of Olivier nominations. Yeah, I have to assume we're getting like a musical number with her and Alicia Dixon at some point. Also, I, I just love her vibe. She's got, she's got a really good energy. I feel like in the public stuff that obviously mostly she's acting, but in like the public presenting stuff I've seen her in. She's like relaxed in a way where sometimes Eurovision hosting can go awry because people are a little bit too uptight and trying to like formalize everything too much. And so I'm excited for her. I was really endeared to her. I saw an interview with her about having to sing Let It Go in a scene uh, in Ted Lasso where she sings karaoke and she was like, "Uh, I did not want to do that. So like that really endeared me to her. Okay. (laughs) So you mentioned Alicia Dixon, obviously singer, TV personality. Thoughts? 
I have less feet. I don't have a lot of thoughts about Alicia Dixon so far. I think that obviously, you know, she's very experienced presenter. She's got the hosting credits. I'm yeah. sure she'll like smash it. I don't have anything in my mind where that kind of links her with Eurovision massively. I haven't. I don't know that I've found her to be like that fun mm. in her presenting work before. I feel, but I don't know. I don't think that I. I'm sure she will be fantastic. I just I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of Alicia Dixon. I only made the connection with Mystique like a little bit after I arrived here. Mystique was like a one-hit wonder in the U.S. Didn't even know when they a one-hit wonder here as yeah, well. Yeah, I went oh, that okay, many all right, hits fine. here. Um, yeah, so little splash, but didn't really know much about her. And then we've got the Ukrainian singer Julia Sanina. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with her <clears throat> band. It's like rocky. It's like a touch evanescence. She's got this husky voice. It's kind of like Tony Braxton esque. She's got this really deep register. I'm really thrilled to see her perform. She's definitely gonna sing. I'm excited to see her perform. I I don't have you seen any of her doing kind of presenting stuff, or is that that feels like quite a new thing? For yeah. Her? I think I've only seen her do stuff in Ukrainian. Like I've just watched a few clips and she's only done it in Ukrainian. I haven't seen her speak in English. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I guess that I'm excited to find out. She I'm sure again. I'm sure she'll be great. I'm sure that the like BBC have figured out why they want her in there. And I, I wonder if they're actually going to host a bit of it in Ukrainian as well. I imagine, yeah, Maybe. they must do some. Don't know. They should do. Yeah. So then we've got the commentators, obviously Graham and uh, Mel Mel Gedrich. Yep. Uh, from Bake Off fame. I love Mel. I like Mel, yeah, Mel yeah. and Sue are like a real like staple. Of, I had once had a dream that I was best friends with Sue, and Mel got really jealous. Oh my god, that's <laughs> um, so like there's some historical beef there. But I've I'm I was never I was never mad at her. She was just mad at me. So just to be clear, um, so yeah, I love Mel. Like that's gonna be great. I think she's gonna bring the right level. I think like what Mel and Sue and particularly Mel does really well is a little bit of kind of teasing and loving snark. Yeah, She's yeah. like, there's not really anything that mean about her comedy and her like commentary on stuff. And I think that's like the perfect, that's the perfect balance. We can be a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's not like mean and, and snipey. And she's got a long history with Eurovision too, right? <clears throat> like she's hosted some of the semis. She's done commentary for some of the semis in the UK. Um, she hosted Eurovision You Decide, the national selection process, for a couple of years. So, like, mm -hmm. she's got cred. With Rylan. Oh, with Rylan. With I was Rylan. coming to that. So, the semifinals, uh, commentated by Rylan, whoever the fuck he is. <laughs> <laughs> anyone anyone know? Uh, I don't know. He just, like, appeared in 2018 from nowhere, and yeah, I have no, sure, like, yeah. no idea. Not sure who he is. Um, Rylan! Excellent. <laughs> and Scott Mills. I have no time for Scott Mills. Oh, oh. <laughs> for no good reason I can't really justify it. I just find him kind of annoying I love a grudge for no reason like, I'm That's just great. like oh fine it's like Scott Mills feed, cool. it, feed that fire it's just he's just got that like radio DJ energy yeah. of like which I don't because he's a radio DJ yeah no I yeah. mean for good reason he's allowed it I just don't vibe it Um, obviously like happy to have Rylan there but it's not that's not like my dream commentating team fine I wish Mel was doing more throughout. Yeah, I agree. Because um, also, yeah, I think that would be that would be good. But you know. Thank you very much, Sunny, for the news. Um, on the topic of hosts, let's transition into the meat of what we're talking about today, which is the UK's complicated relationship with Eurovision. Maybe it's also Eurovision's complicated relationship with the UK. We'll see. Um, 
Let's start, I'd say, with some facts to kind of frame this whole thing. So there have been 66 iterations of Eurovision. UK has only missed two of them. They're part of the big five, so they automatically qualify into the finals because of their financial contributions to the event. Um, a few figures about their strength. Um, I didn't know all of these. Uh, along with Sweden and Norway, they're the only country with winners in four separate decades. They're tied for third with the most wins. They had the longest-running streak of top-five placements. And before 2000, they finished outside the top ten only three times. So, kind of great. Kind of a wonderful history. And yet... Since the year 2000, the UK has had an inverse performance record, having only reached the top 10 on three occasions. Yikes. With uh, Jess Garlick uh, placing third in 2002, Jade Ewan placing fifth in 2009, and of course our incredible Sam Ryder placing second last year. Also since 2000, the UK has scored zero points in 03 and 21, and has finished in last place in 08, 2010, and 2019. So a bit of a disaster run compared yeah. to the golden years before uh, the year 2000. It's been a steep decline for us, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Okay, so I'd say before we get into uh, the idea of a complicated relationship, how do we feel about the UK hosting this year? What, is th what does that mean for you, Louisa, as a Brit? So I think I have a complicated relationship with that slightly because I have never really been that invested in us winning it's not one of the reasons that i love eurovision i don't like really i don't go like all out on rooting for us and so it's not been something that i've been hoping for and obviously my like our steep decline from 2010 has been the most like significant part of my adult eurovision fandom so i've never really expected us to do yeah. particularly well um i am however obviously thrilled it's here i love Sam I love what he did I love that he brought just the perfect sincere energy the song was fantastic I feel like he really it felt like a return to to ancient form <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah I'm I mean I'm thrilled it's here um it goes without saying like obviously it would be great if it could be hosted in Ukraine yeah. and that would be ideal and from a <laughs> From a, hey, war is terrible perspective, and also from a personal perspective, I'd probably rather be going to Ukraine than Liverpool. Well, and I guess for me, that, this is like kind of selfish, but, you know, it seemed last year like Ukraine was likely going to win. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of kind of conjecture about, well, you know, the UK could host, because they have stepped in several times in the yeah. past mm -hmm. for people who couldn't host or didn't want to host. And so I was a little like, maybe I don't want the UK to do so, well, I which wasn't, was like a little bit conflicting. I wasn't rooting for us when we knew that Ukraine were probably not able to host yeah. and it was still up in the air as to whether or not it would get offered to the UK and whether or not the UK would accept it. I was rooting for it to fall down to Spain um, or Sweden, to be honest with you, because it's, that's just, it's just more of an event. I want yeah. a trip. But I am also thrilled it's here. I also was reflecting on this, um, obviously, in prep for this conversation and realised it the UK hosting Eurovision is actually quite significant. So my first memory of Eurovision was Dana International's win. Yeah. And that was the last time the UK hosted. So that feels like a little bit full circle for me personally. And Dana International has always kind of been in my head as like the quintessential Eurovision winner. Yeah. Like, like um, she is, well, she's an icon. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited it's here. It feels important. 
but it's not something that I've been rooting for really strongly up until now. And what about you, Sunny, as like, you know, part of the Commonwealth? Do you feel like, are you riding those coattails? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was it was complicated last year because even though I'm Australian, I think I was rooting for Sam. It, like, I'm a resident of the UK, but that was enough to uh, to give me like this patriotic feeling of go- going for, for Sam and wanting us to host. I, I wanted it to, to be here. Aww. What were your feelings about it? I mean, you don't, you obviously you live here, so it's convenient. But... Yeah, no, I really like purely from a selfish uh, fandom of wanting to travel. I just wanted it to be somewhere else. So like I could be in Spain or Sweden <laughs> yeah. in 2023. Do love Liverpool though. It'll be, it's a great city yeah, to have chosen. I'm um, very excited for it. But yeah, admittedly, somewhere with like sunnier and better, sunny and better food would be yes definitely would also be appealing okay so the uk had two wins in the 60s one in the 70s one at the top of the 80s and then the last one was 97 what has changed like why has why have things gone south since then what's your perception okay so as a caveat Everything I'm going to say is just like my personal perspective as like one person in the UK. I do not have, I have not studied national attitudes to Eurovision. (laughs) I don't have any like data. This is all just my gut. I mean, honestly, though, my feeling is that we've got a bit of a self-fulfilling attitude towards it. I think we got, we started getting really snarky and maybe developed a bit of a superiority complex Mm. around Eurovision um because we were maybe big hitters because we did well and i think i think that's been a little bit of a yeah of a kind of self-feeding loop where we've got snarky and we don't actually send songs that we make that much effort about and we see ourselves as like a little bit above the competition and for me that's why like sam's success was so good and joyful is that I think part of the reason that he went down so well is because he just really loved being there. He was really genuinely pure and enthusiastic. There was no like, oh, yeah, you know, we we have like real music and the UK energy about it. There wasn't the like, this is a silly thing that I'm just doing, like looking down on it. He fucking loved to be there and yeah. he was really sincere about it. And I think that that's really important. That played well with everyone. Everyone was like, he's so endearing. He like really means all this. Exactly. And I think my experience of... Obviously, you know, in 97, when we last won, I was 12, so didn't necessarily have, like, a great grasp. Was I 12? Yeah. No. <laughs> I was 11. <laughs> maths. I don't do maths or um, self-awareness. So, <laughs> I, yeah, so I didn't have, like, necessarily a great grasp of, like, what our national attitude was then. Yeah, sure. But definitely, as I've grown up, I have felt it sort of decline in terms of like my experience at least of the level of snark the level of like snipiness that not snipiness sounds meaner than I think it is but I think that self-fulfilling thing of being like oh we'll just like Eurovision hates us and so we will never do well so we're gonna keep like looking down on it and we're gonna keep like whatever I'm just being a little bit superior and I think there's like a weird tension because obviously the UK has a massive Eurovision fan base yeah. in it, mm-hmm. See it this I think year, my God. yeah and like with a I think we have like the biggest fan club in Europe and there is like a really strong undercurrent of like really, really intense love for Eurovision. But I think like the broad population 
is like I don't meet that many people. Obviously, I'm someone that brings up Eurovision quite regularly in no, conversation. I, I've never heard that <laughs> ever. <laughs> I have to actually like stop myself. I think in work scenarios a lot of just being like, not everyone wants <laughs> to have the latest information. Um, but most of the conversations I have with just like people are quite like, oh yeah, it's just a bit silly, isn't yeah. it? It's just like it's a mm-hmm. bit, it's something to laugh at rather than to sort of love or if people do love it there's this like level of irony to it which i have no time for because i'm like if you you love things you love them fucking sincerely i'm not doing ironic love um i wonder how that compares to other countries as well like do they have that similar um poking fun mockery well i guess you're the only one that can answer that for australia because i have the same question i don't know if that's unique to the uk though i do think the uk has issues with superiority complexes generally yeah. um but like what's australia's so i mean um, to be fair i haven't lived in australia for a while so growing up uh i would watch it and i'd have terry wogan's commentary mm-hmm. we didn't do our own commentary back when i was watching it and i i guess i was just it was the fascination of European pop culture, the costumes, the absurdity was just very foreign for this little queer boy from country <laughs> Australia. Um, but having Terry Wogan's English commentary cause, was kind of the icing on the cake, right? Like it made it funny and relatable. But now that we kind of can look back at that, I actually, I, I think that, I mean, Terry Wogan, commentated for something like 25 or 30 yeah, years. Yeah, so right? he's like the longest running commentator, I think. Yeah, and it started in the 70s, right? He started to bring kind of joking or like a, a superiority complex with his commentary, I think. Yes, no, I'm really glad you said that because I think that's my reflection too in thinking about this episode and thinking about our relationship with it. I've gone back and like watched a few yeah. of like Wogan's clips and my memory of watching Eurovision with Wogan as a kid is that it was like, oh, the commentary's, you know, one of the main things that you yeah, find joy exactly. in and like, oh, we're all laughing along with Wogan. And going back, I'm like, it's so mean. It's mm-hmm. so mean-spirited. Yeah. And, it's, and I've watched a few interview clips with him where... It's very clear that he's like, this is stupid and it's bad and I'm here to laugh at it because it's bad. He's been like, yeah, don't take it, like, I don't take it seriously. And, and I mean, that's I've got fine. some fantastic quotes that, uh, I, uh, from, from Morgan. Things like, uh, we're looking at it in a diff- slightly different light. We're not taking it as seriously as other people. We're too grown up for that. This is, and I think that's a perfect encapsulation of the issue I have with, I think, what his commentary did to like the national attitude towards right. it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it does have this idea of like, we're more grown up, so we're going to laugh at the silly costumes and we're going to look down on how seriously other people are taking it and we're going to be snarky about people's traditions. And I know you're wrong, like, there's a lot of stuff to laugh at in Eurovision. There's a lot, like, obviously, like, it being a bit over the top, countries like, giving kind of like a slightly crazy performances or going like ostentatious trying to get attention like there's a lot there's a lot to poke fun at but I think there's like a really significant difference in how he poked fun at it and how I think is kind of okay to poke fun at it and I think that quote like sums it up which is that thing of like we're here to look down as like the grown-up in the room Mm. that thinks everyone else is being silly instead of we're part of the silliness and we're enjoying it and yeah there's some things that are a bit ridiculous like I think and again I don't live in Sweden I don't know but my experience of like Sweden hosting and Sweden's attitude towards the um 
to, to the competition, I think is more the lines of like, they completely embrace how ridiculous yeah. it is. They embrace some of the things to laugh at, but it's clearly from a place of love and appreciation and taking it and like really leaning into it. And I think that's where we should be trying to get to. I am so glad you brought up Sweden because in 2016, uh, which was hosted by Sweden. One of the best host, hosted shows ever. They did yeah. an absolutely yes. phenomenal job. Yeah, uh, But a producer or the producer of the Swedish broadcast actually said that Wogan had created a generation of Britons who see the show as irrelevant and kitsch and totally spoiled Eurovision by mocking acts in his commentary. Because of what Terry Wogan did, the UK don't put in their best efforts. Oh. And I yes. trust the Swedes. No, I mean, I, that is basically my... I completely agree. That's my exact feeling about it, having reflected back on like the journey of the UK and Eurovision over the last, you know, how many years, is that he really bred this this like idea that we're too good that we look down for it that there's no point sending people that we care about or that we think are good and i think also then for artists right it becomes a bit of an embarrassment to be sent to mm-hmm. eurovision because culturally we look down on it and don't think it's proper music yeah. and like the the conversations i have now with people particularly um like maybe people who are a bit older is very much like, oh, well, all of it's Europop. All of it's like, yeah. all of it's trash. trash. All of yeah. it's, yeah, all of it's just dismissible. It's nonsense. It's all just like laughable. There's no real music. And that does feel like it's really come from Wogan. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to rag on Terry Wogan too much. He's obviously like a national treasure, yeah. but I do think that he had a really damaging impact on our relationship with Eurovision. And sure, in terms of global importance, him damaging our relationship with Eurovision, probably not that much of a significant negative to leave on the world. That's fine. But I'm mad about it. <laughs> it is complicated, though, because he's also, because of his commentary, it's become more popular in the UK as well, I think. Well, and that's the thing, you know, two two decades of his hosting. But what does that do, right? It's a, it could be a little mm. bit insidious. I do think that historically it meant more people watched it because even people who were like, this is stupid, would tune in to, for the commentary. Yeah. And that was a big draw for people. And it still is. I think, like, Graham Norton's carried on that tradition. My take is that Graham Norton's done a really good job of keeping the tradition of poking fun that people watch the commentary for. But I think he's coming at it from a place of more love yeah. than Wogan did. I would still like probably be a little bit less snarky than he is, but I love Graham. I think like Graham genuinely appreciates the competition and the institution in a way that isn't as like looking down on people, which I think is like, that's just naturally fine. Like Terry Wogan's entire energy as a presenter was being snarky and looking down on people. Graham Norton's a fucking beautiful man who is just lovely. And so he doesn't just doesn't have that same like um, edge to him. So one other thing I wanted to bring up was um, in also in nineteen uh, sorry in two thousand and sixteen big year for the UK um, British Eurovision winner uh, from nineteen sixty seven Sandy Shaw actually accused the BBC of using Eurovision to make fun and belittle other countries as she backed the campaign for Britain to remain in the EU so. That's fascinating, right? Okay, also, I love Sandy Shaw, so whatever the hell she says, I stand by her. You're just like, yeah, sure, sounds right. 100%. Great song. But I also do... Oh, no, sorry, you go. No, 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 go. No, I mean, again, 
you're just I think you're singing the hits like it's I think that's true I think like we use it as a way to look down on people other people's cultures and to paint ourselves as superior in some way as understanding of arts and music more than other people to treat other countries traditions as laughable instead of to be appreciated to not find interest in the way the music is represented from other places I think basically it undermines for me our national attitude has become one that undermines the very like core of what Eurovision should be in a way that makes me feel like we don't deserve to do well and when people bitch about us not doing well and the decline I'm like we don't we don't deserve it we treat it we treat it with sneering and we treat other contestants with with like disdain and it's not that's not how we should be entering it and I, I think there's another side to that is that we are really obsessed with what other countries think of us. And mm. I don't know how much the rest of Eurovision really UK, thinks about the UK's sure. entrant and mm. really, but we obsess about it. We talk so much about how like, oh, well, you look, Europeans hate us and it's all political. And that's just why we don't get any votes. And it's just because like the Europeans hate us. And I'm like, I just don't think that most of the juries and voters are thinking about us enough to hate us i think this is that again it's another side of the superiority thing of like we see ourselves as so important in everyone's minds and we saw that with sam last year yeah exactly it's like we can also also get to the merits of some of the selections kind of since maybe the downfall in the 2000s but like let's take a step back for a second and appreciate maybe some of the good things the uk i'm so mad at us though (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough Okay, so <laughs> we had Sandy Shaw's win in 67, Puppet on a String, Gorgeous, and, uh, Beautiful oh, Song. A absolute classic. Lulu in 69 with Boom, Bang, a Bang. Also so good. Um, 76, Brotherhood of Man, Save All Your Kisses. Such a good song. Oh. 81, Bucks Fizz, Making Your Mind Okay, up. Bucks Fizz. I ha- we got to pause on Bucks yep, Fizz great. for a minute because Bucks Fizz is the quintessential Eurovision winner. No, okay, I already said Donna International was the quintessential Eurovision winner. <laughs> Donna International is a definitive Eurovision winner. Bucks Fizz for me, though, is the performance that I measure all other performances by, which is basically just means that if there's not a costume reveal at any point it is. in oh, the performance, what a reveal. I'm, always, I'm so disappointed. I can't shake it so even, here's, here's even if i love the song i'm like oh they didn't didn't rip anything <laughs> off dramatically so it's not it's never quite hitting the bucks fizz love levels. A yes. and for me two key changes yes yeah. i know exactly key changes and a costume change that's, that's you, where that's, where that's what i measure of, everything yeah that's yeah. where your love of key changes come from oh absolutely from. but so that's the thing do you think this love is purely because of the song and the performance or is there some like sticky element where partially because it's the UK and you don't really want to acknowledge that it's a UK win and you secretly take pride in it? Okay, so I know I'm being a real bitch about the UK. <laughs> I am proud of our like past when we took it, when we had those really great entries like Bugs Fizz. I'm really proud that's yeah. the UK. I love that that's like, that was us. And I do think it's one of the more iconic Eurovision wins. I think it's one that goes down in like the top winners songs and performances rather than just sort of like one of the lost years type yeah. thing yeah i love that i'm very proud of that and i think that i'm proud of that for the uk i also just think it's legitimately really good i do think my yeah my my lack of like pride in the uk i mean comes from the fact that like a we can be like a weird nationalistic little country and our history of invading and uh trying to colonize places doesn't make me feel proud and like good about it and then the last 10 years has been 
such snark at something that I love really sincerely yeah. mm-hmm. that I just don't I yeah I think we I think we only deserve to do well when we go in with like with a sound energy yeah. Sam is just <laughs> Sam has just so solved so many problems we're about, at like world peace uh, yeah honestly Sam for PM yeah amen and okay so the last win of course Katrina and the Waves 25 years ago 1997 yeah of all of those which one is your favorite is it Bucks Fizz yeah, it's got to be Bucks Fizz. I just think it's it's so iconic. Like, I loved Katrina and the Waves. I think that's a lovely song. I love all of those wins. I think they were all really deserved wins. Yeah. I think they're all fantastic. But Bucks Fizz is just one of the ultimate Eurovision songs for me. Me too. Bucks Fizz. Camp. Um, fun. Key changes, it... skirt rips. Like, what are we... What that's, is there oh, not to what love? Else yeah. um, Sandy Shaw. Um, the other thing is all of those second place finishes, like 16, I think it was. It was. Mm. Um, the one that boggles my mind the most is Scott Fitzgerald in 1988 came second to Celine Dion by one point. One point, yeah. What if the UK had disrupted Celine Dion's ascent to fame? I mean, that could have been a Ultimate horrible... reality, yeah. <laughs> well, as we know from Snap... You don't have to win to do well off the back of Eurovision. Yeah. I don't think anything could have disrupted Celine's ascent to fame. I think we're okay. I don't it would have think, been inevitable. I don't think there's an alternate reality yes. out there where okay. that doesn't that, happen. That's assuring. I think as an American, the one, the only one that really registered with me, everyone, when I came here, everyone was like, Katrina and the Wave, Katrina and the Waves. And I had no history with that song whatsoever. The only... UK Eurovision song that made any sort of imprint on me as an American was Gina G. Oh, ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, just, just a little bit. bit. Which was like only eighth, I think. Yeah, it didn't it do that well, well, but in my head, it's a winner. Yeah. I have to correct myself all the time. I'm like, what's our last win? Katrina and the Ways. But surely Gina G was a winner. Yeah. And it's like, no. But it was. It's should have been. That, yeah, that, 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 that's a, a year we got robbed. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'll say. You sound like a uh, uh, UK sports fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming home. Yeah. Um, okay, so low points since the 2000s when things kind of have been going not as well. Is there Are there any kind of particularly dark moments for all of you in terms of the UK's sort of performance or, yeah, is it just sort of late Terry Wogan being kind of insidious with his commentary is there a particular performance is there anything that like really sticks out to you i don't think so to be honest with you i think i genuinely the uk's position and performance in eurovision has just been at the bottom of my priority list in terms of my (laughs) my eurovision watching it's just not it's not something i felt invested in for like a really long time because because of that wogan energy i think um I think there's obviously the years of Nil Poir, which I think have all been quite deserved. Like yes. James Newman shouldn't have got any points. Yeah, if I could give that man minus points, I would. <laughs> like, I think he should have had something. I think he should have been fine like for he, his, The for next year, he should have actually been at a deficit or whoever. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, I genuinely think, I think he owes some kind of debt to society <laughs> that he hasn't paid yet. And I think we Ouch. need to address that. Um, but no, I don't. I don't think other than other than that, there's nothing. I don't think basically our performances and our entrance generally are the ones that stick in my mind or define a year for me. It's much bigger than that. In twenty, what was it? Twenty eighteen. 
Suri. Oh, when Suri got interrupted, yeah. that was fantastic. I mean, that could have been a moment where she smashed it. Yeah, well, that could have been a moment where there would have been sort of like a rallying around the UK again. And I thought there was going to be actually. I think 2018 is probably the year that I was most surprised about how badly we did because yeah. I thought I thought the song was good. I thought her performance was really good. I thought the way she handled the interruption mm-hmm. was really phenomenal because that would yeah. have been really genuinely scary Shocking, for her. Yeah. There would have been like, it could have completely thrown her off. I mean, and like, she... It could have been a security incident. No, right? exactly. It, like, and so, it yeah, could have been legitimately dangerous. Someone stormed the stage and took the mic from her, like a like a Taylor Swift moment, but it was just a nobody, right? Like, yeah. It was like Kanye West being a dick. It was, And she recovered really well. She immediately got back into the song she there wasn't really like much of a pause like the guy got taken off and and she she recovered really well and i thought that she did an amazing performance and then i we just didn't do very well well, and also like it kind of came at the exact right time in the song because it's all of these like the lyrics paralleled it was like redemption and she like did all these fist bumps and then it like the chorus swelled and yeah the the crowd really got behind her fun fact yeah i've actually sung with suri Wait, what? Yeah. Hello. I uh, I did a musical recital of Jesus Christ Superstar and she was Mary Magdalene. Oh my God. How did she smash it? She? Oh, fucking incredible. Of course yeah. she did. Yeah. Amazing. I do, yeah. I feel bad for her. I feel like she got quite robbed after what was also quite a dramatic performance. Yeah. And yeah, I'd like to see more of her around. Okay. And so maybe the last thing we're hosting, but we're hosting on behalf of somebody. And that's a different vibe. We've done that before. This has happened, like, I think seven times in history, and the UK has stepped We've in. We've stepped in, like, two or three times before, oh, yeah. I think, like, four or five, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so we're hosting on behalf of Ukraine. It's not just... In the past, it's happened because, like, a, a federation has won two or three times in a row, so they just are like, I don't want to host again. Yeah, or it's, like, a small or enough country. Luxembourg yeah, because Luxembourg, I think, uh, won. Monaco did as well or something. Yeah, and yeah. they're just like, ugh. We can't host that many people. Just yeah. take it somewhere else. But this is like unprecedented. We're hosting on behalf of a country that literally this cannot war. host. Yeah. How do you think that's going to go? Slash, what have you seen so far that has made you think they're going to do a good job or not? Well, I, for me, I this is huge. Like, I think this is the year that the UK can actually show the rest of, of Europe that we can take it seriously. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think the BBC or Graham or the other hosts can deliver a Eurovision similar to the commentary of the past. Like they've got to take it that they've got to recognize Ukraine. They've got to take it sincere. They've got to make it a big unification kind of uh, energy and not the Eurovision that people in the UK have grown up watching. Yeah. Which is really fascinating. I think, I think that is really fascinating. It's such an important year to actually take it sincerely and to like really deliver something that that is, I can see you tearing up. up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, I can get through an episode without crying. It's fine. I'm not sure that that's true. (laughs) But no, it is. It's such an important year, and I'm I'm really encouraged so far because I think you're right. Like we can't deliver the a Eurovision under like the UK attitude, and I think this is reminding me of another thing that Terry Wogan said around like. I saw him on a chat show talking about how much the other commentators and like the other fan clubs in Europe hated him Mm. and would come up and like be like, why do you do this if you hate it? And he took some pride in that, right? Of Mm. being like, well, because it's stupid and like, why, you know, and that and kind of that level of discomfort and people being like, why are you here when you're just here to tear it down? Um, He took a lot of pride in that. And I think, you know, 
there's some room for being like you can be a bit a little bit snarky in a fun way and you can defend that but I think that level of joy being found in hating it and looking down on it like cannot exist in this scenario it has to be sincere and it it could be fun and I'm really encouraged so far I think like the you know we talked before about the logos and the themes and and how they did the draw show and it looks like they're putting a lot into it it looks slick it looks modern it looks to be that they are taking it really seriously and putting their all into it at the moment i think i'm really pleased with so far make you know seeing obviously we've got good ukrainian representation we've got tickets being reserved for you displaced ukrainians um it is like it's being talked about as ukraine's eurovision in a way that i think is also correct and i think is finding so far a good balance on making sure that that's really coming through because it does need to be this is ukraine's eurovision and like even again sam (laughs) but like sam is obviously like yeah sam's been talking about the fact that you know this is ukraine's party we're hosting Mm -hmm. it and he's like been really like i think yeah i think everyone's been for me on point about how much this is not our it's not our moment and we're going to take it seriously and we can't like jab at something that we are hosting on behalf of someone else in such a delicate time the other thing that i think has been really heartening is you've seen there's been some like interface with uh liverpool school kids and like trying to get them to you know drum up support and understand what this means the kind of gravity of yeah hosting on behalf of somebody Mm. why we're doing this yeah so hopefully this is a the start of a new era of a new generation of people growing up with eurovision in the uk and actually Seeing it for what it is. I hope so. And I have to say, one more thing. We're recording this, and depending on when we release this, we do not yet know at this moment who we have selected to perform. And so, in the 2010s, right, it kind of went back and forth. It was a little frenetic. Like, there was some, you know, national selection on television. They did, like, televoting and stuff. There was a lot of, like, you know, internal selections the BBC would select. This year, the BBC is selecting. It's all behind closed doors. We don't Mm -hmm. know who it is. What do you think? I would like us to go back to national selection, but I know why we can't. Like, I think it was good to stop doing that because, again, like our attitude as a nation was that we didn't really care. And so there wasn't like the weight behind it to yeah. take it that seriously. That said, I mean, it's actually we were doing national selections till relatively recently. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of success with them recently. So clearly, <laughs> like they weren't working for us. So far, neither has the behind closed doors decision making. So we'll see. I don't. I don't think I'm massively invested. Excuse in Excuse me. You don't way. think the behind closed doors Sam Ryder selection was successful? Okay. Take that back. <laughs> My bad. I was so. I was thinking so much about James Newman at that point Fine. that I absolutely There's a little forgot bit of about now. Sam for two seconds. Excellent. But yeah, obviously the behind closed doors like last year's selection smashed it, and I think that that implies hopefully that the jury that's selecting yeah. have their mind in the right place. Excellent. Wonderful. So, thank you all for joining us. You can find us on the socials. We're on Twitter at 3, the number 3, Queers Pod. Um, shoot us some messages at gmail at 3queerspod at gmail.com. Let us know what your thoughts are on how the UK sort of has, you know, evolved in their relationship, for better or for worse. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you very much. And please, if you are at all enjoying, please subscribe, maybe give us a like, do some sort of, you know, reviews. Share um, it with the some podcast friends. On whoever, on wherever you listen to it. Um, and as always, be nice to me. <laughs> Just you. Just me. You can say what you like to these guys. Excellent. Thanks very much. We thought we'd put you there. 
so you wouldn't fidget as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I did. I, I'll take responsibility <laughs> for that. I just didn't pick, didn't get picked up on the audio, Sonny. So that's just you getting annoyed at me. Hello. Probably. 